the National Archives podcast series, highlights of security service files released at the National Archives, presented by Professor Christopher Andrew. The latest batch of declassified MI5 files released at the National Archives contains a number of colourful characters. Possibly the most colourful is Alcázar de Velasco, a founder member of the Spanish fascist movement whose multi-volume file begins at KV2-3535. Early in 1941, despite knowing no English, he was posted to the Spanish embassy in London as press attaché and, more importantly, as intelligence officer. According to an MI5 report, quote, Alcázar is a most remarkable character. He is of gypsy extraction and, as a boy, worked as a bootblack in Madrid. He was extremely ambitious, and in order to earn money to educate himself, he became a bullfighter. He claims that his first real step up in politics was his assassination of a police officer. End of quotation. What made Alcázar a potential threat to the British war effort was that, as well as working for Spanish intelligence, he was also an agent of German intelligence, the Abwehr. Thanks to MI5 and British codebreakers at Bletchley Park, all the agents sent directly to Britain by the Abwehr had been caught soon after their arrival. Some of the best of them had been turned into double agents and used to feed disinformation to Germany in the now celebrated double-cross system, probably the most successful deception in the history of warfare. MI5 feared that if Alcázar, who was protected by diplomatic immunity, sent reports to the Abwehr which contradicted those of the double agents under its control, the Germans might realise they were being fed disinformation. Though MI5 asked for him to be expelled, the Foreign Office was reluctant to do so for fear of retaliation against British embassy staff in Madrid. Fortunately for MI5, Alcázar obtained little intelligence of any significance during his time in London. The Spanish embassy's best-paid British agent was a double agent employed by MI5. Though Alcázar successfully intimidated other embassy staff, whom he kept under surveillance, he became an object of ridicule in London society. MI5 reported that he had shocked diners at the Savoy by eating fish with his fingers and caused a commotion at Turkish baths by giving a demonstration of bullfighting techniques. Alcázar was a fraud as well as self-obsessed. He later admitted to MI6 that after he returned to Madrid in 1942, he sold fabricated intelligence from a mythical British spy ring to both the Germans and the Japanese. We know from other sources that MI5 was able to reassure itself that despite Alcázar and other pro-Nazi Spanish diplomats in London, the embassy continued to pose no threat to the double-cross system. As one MI5 officer later put it, most fortunately for us, the security arrangements in the embassy were nil. On at least three occasions, an MI5 agent was able to walk out of the embassy with the current Spanish diplomatic cipher tape to hand over to an MI5 car waiting just around the corner. MI5 staff also occasionally entered the embassy at night for what they called, quote, a little discreet burglary. The main threat to the double-cross deception of Germany in the run-up to the D-Day landings on the Normandy beaches in June 1944 was an Abwehr officer, Johann Jebsen, 
who late in 1943 was recruited as a British double agent, codenamed Artist. Jebsen correctly deduced that the German star agent in Britain, Juan Pujol, was in reality an MI5 double agent. Pujol, codenamed Garbo by MI5, played a crucial role in persuading the German high command that the Normandy landings were a mere diversion and that the main Allied attack would come in the Calais region. In April 1944, only two months before D-Day, Jebsen was arrested in Lisbon by the Abwehr officer Alois Schreiber, whose file, KV-2-3568, is among the latest batch of MI5 releases. The file describes how Schreiber lured Jebsen to his office late one evening under the pretext that he was to be awarded a decoration. Instead, Jebsen was drugged, bundled into a trunk, and driven through northern Spain across the French border to Biarritz, where he was handed over to the Gestapo. MI5 understandably feared that Jebsen would reveal under interrogation that Garbo was a British double agent, and so put at risk the whole D-Day deception. The Germans, however, never realized that Garbo was deceiving them and awarded him the Iron Cross. An MI5 assessment later concluded, quote, We were saved by time and fortune. D-Day arrived before the Germans had succeeded in unraveling all the tangled skein of the artist Jebsen case. Possibly the most historically important new declassified MI5 material on the post-war period are the 39 files on Chedi and Janet Jagan, the Marxist founders of the People's Progressive Party, PPP, in pre-independence British Guiana. These files, which begin at KV2-3600, are further evidence that MI5 played a more important part in British decolonization than is often realized. Officers who joined the security service early in the Cold War could expect to spend a quarter to a third of their careers on overseas postings. At its peak, during post-war decolonization, MI5 had 42 officers abroad, mostly headed by security liaison officers, SLOs, with only secretarial support. Many stayed on after British colonies became independent. Colonial office files already in the National Archives show, for example, that in 1963 the future leader of independent Kenya, Jomo Kenyatta, called at MI5 headquarters to ask for its help in training Kenyan police officers. The Director General's Roger Hollis noted that it was, quote, a friendly meeting. There was no such meeting of minds between MI5 and the Jagans. The hidden microphones planted by MI5 in the headquarters of the British Communist Party showed that it was in contact with Chedi Jagan. MI5's SLO in Trinidad, whose responsibilities included British Guiana, called Jagan an astute politician who, quote, wields great influence over a large number of people who have never been, and in all probability never will be, communists. Jagan's support was based on popular opposition to what the SLO condemned as the selfish and high-handed sugar plantation owners and other big employers. The election victory of Jagan's PPP in 1953 caused alarm in Westminster. The leader of the Labour opposition, former Prime Minister Clem Attlee, agreed with the current Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, in denouncing Jagan and his colleagues as, quote, either communists or communist stooges. Jagan's file contains previously classified details of Operation Windsor, 
which removed him from power after only 133 days and gave the governor emergency powers for the next three years. The SLO in Trinidad took a particular dislike to the American-born Janet Jagan, who he claimed was, quote, uncompromising in her hatreds and more concerned with the position of British Guiana in the pattern of world communism than with good government. Cherry Jagan, he believed, was popular and would make a good prime minister, quote, without his wife. In 1957, Jagan returned to office. The newly declassified MI5 files on the Jagans end in 1961. Other documents at the National Archives in the Prime Minister's office files reveal that beginning in 1962, successive British governments gave in to pressure from the White House to allow the CIA to use subterranean means to ensure that the first leader of independent Guiana in 1966 was not Chetty Jagan, but his anti-Marxist rival Forbes Burnham. In most British colonies, there was a relatively friendly transfer of power to independent governments. British Guiana was a notable exception. Like past MI5 releases to the National Archives, the latest batch contains a number of files on British and foreign communists. Perhaps the most intriguing is KV2-3596, the file on Yelena Stasova, who had one of the longest careers on record as a communist militant. Stasova joined the Marxist Russian Social Democratic Party in 1898, before becoming a member of Lenin's breakaway Bolshevik Party in 1903, and a professional revolutionary who used the codename Absolute. Lenin's published collected works contain a number of letters to her, including advice before she goes on trial for revolutionary activity in 1905. Stasova's MI5 file records that she works for a time as Lenin's secretary and later joined the Women's Executive Committee of the Communist International. Though the file is very fragmentary, it notes that she became, quote, an expert in underground work. On her 90th birthday in 1963, she was photographed with the celebrated Vietnamese revolutionary leader Ho Chi Minh, and the photo is in her file. One of the most unusual files in the latest releases, KV2-3352, is on Antonia Lyon-Smith, later Antonia Hunt, an English schoolgirl who was trapped in France at the age of only 15 after the German invasion in 1940. Her courageous involvement with the French resistance led her to be interrogated at the Gestapo office in Paris, which must have been a terrifying experience. Instead of being imprisoned, however, she became a Gestapo office girl. A Gestapo officer named Karl Gargel fell deeply in love with her. When Lion Smith was later questioned by MI5, she seemed rather uncommunicative about her relationship with Gargel, who continued to try to contact her after the war was over. A quarter of a century later, Lion Smith wrote a memoir of this extraordinary period in her life entitled Little Resistance, Teenage English Girls' Adventures in Occupied France. She had, she revealed, spent these years, quote, constantly in and out of love. There's further evidence in the latest releases that MI5 was worried at the end of the war the German intelligence was planning to set up secret sabotage and espionage networks against the victorious allies. File KV3-418 includes a captured German directive from the last weeks of the war on preparations for guerrilla warfare. 
Nowadays, it's easy to regard such schemes as impossibly far-fetched, but at the time it was reasonable to believe that a post-war Nazi underground might continue a secret war. The secret war, however, never happened. As usual, a National Archives press pack provides a very helpful guide to the latest declassified MI5 files. Since the release of MI5 files began 14 years ago, they've provided raw material for some outstanding masters and PhD theses, as well as a number of best-selling books. The KV series at the National Archives has now established itself as a major source for research on 20th century British history up to the early Cold War. This podcast was recorded on the 16th of August 2011 at the National Archives, Kew. Copyright the National Archives. All rights reserved. <laughs>